I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Post-Match Raw. I'm not Trev Downey yet. He's, I think he's coming back from holiday, so I'll let him off a bit, but he's still away. But he should be back next week, even though I said that last time. But we are here to talk about a win, a needlessly stressful win over Bournemouth as the Reds went 3-1, came away 3-1 winners. But we are going to get into that, but I will introduce my guests first. Dave, how are you doing, Dave? I'm good. I'm good. Like you said, a little bit more stressed than necessary, but... As Carl pointed out before we went live, we probably should have expected it, considering, you know, all things that went on last season. That's very true. That is very true. But this may have been new levels, and I will let you rant in a moment. But as you said, Carl's with us. How are you doing, Carl? I'm all right, considering what we've just started to witness and then how things turned around. I think overall I will accept that the start of the season is stupid, and we just roll with that. Yes, and stupid it was, dear, because, I mean, we won't do the whole teams and all that jazz because who cares, really, because it was the same team as Chelsea. Um, the start of that game, Dave, I mean, you just mentioned it there before we started recording and since, that it was maybe the stupidest or most stupid start to a game or period of football you've seen. And, I mean, the offside goal... Ali's rushing out for no reason. Trent half assed a bit of defending. Probably look he's offside more than any more than playing him offside. Um then it leads to their goal that does count. It it's just idiotic in every sense that the players don't seem too bothered. Um there's no real plan. It's just a a clusterfuck's probably what we'll go with. Yeah, I think that's a very accurate description of what we saw in the opening spell of today. Um, I don't really understand what was going through Trent's head when he half-first sticking his foot out to try and control a ball. He should have been aware to the fact that Anthony was offside. I Look, it worked out in our favour, but I don't like the rule that if the defender purposely plays the ball, the attacker remains offside. If the attacker starts offside and the defender purposely plays the ball, let him come back into the play because we got away with something there that was entirely of our own making with three players, Trent, utter stupidity, Ibu, not really sure what he was doing, and Alisson, 
I'm not sure that was the real Allison. Can we check if that wasn't his brother or something that played the first half? Because that was that was insanity. Like, what was he doing? I, I genuinely have no idea. We're very, very fortunate. And then when we get away with one, and you think, you know what? That'll wake them up. That'll wake them all up. This is great. Now, that's actually a good thing. This will wake them all up. They made it worse. And they actually can continue to get worse for over 10 minutes here. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It really wasn't pretty. I mean, Carl, um, what what did you make of the start of the game? I can think you can pretty much copy and paste what they've just said, really, but for the next few minutes after that as well. Um, I mean, Kanate, I think, was the most consistent and reliable of the back five, let's say, in that first half. And I don't think he did individually too much wrong, but there was the usual you know, positional things and nobody really sure where they're supposed to cover or who should go where. But really, the rest of them, all, all four of the rest of them, were guilty of individual moments and the usual systemic uncertainty. And I just struggle to think that we're going to overcome that very, very quickly at all because it's been months now and it's not just a personnel issue. Uh, I don't think that you know, signing someone is immediately going to fix that in the way that, say, when we signed Van Dijk, we were suddenly much, much better at defending set pieces when we've been an abomination before that. This is kind of the instruction, and it's not seeming to be very clear at the moment in terms of what happens in different phases of uh, defensive work, whether it's direct balls or runners from deep or diagonals from one side to the other. There's still lots to sort out here if this is going to be the way that we play. And if we don't sort anything out and this is the way that we play, then it's going to be very fun for people to watch Liverpool, but we're not going to be winning anything. So I think this first 15 minutes here and you know several 10-minute chunks against Chelsea in the first game, they should both show what last season showed. That as it is, we cannot play this way. Something has to alter. I know how good we look going forward, but we're not going to outscore ourselves at the other end if we carry on playing this way all season long. Yeah, and that's the thing. We've obviously got bigger and harder tests. I mean, we've got Newcastle next weekend, um, which is obviously going to be harder than Bournemouth, you'd presume. Um, it, it's just strange. I mean, that the Bournemouth goal is just so lacklustre and everything. I mean, Trent's touch is just weak. But the reaction is just panicked. I think Robbo probably should stay on some menu, but he gets drawn to the ball. Um, as, as you said, Dave, the the playing of the offside and the foot in the non-offside goal, uh, in the offside goal, it's just panic stations from everyone. Yeah, literally. I mean, I, it, I, I don't want to hit Robbo on this because he, he does put in the effort to try and get back and make the challenge on Solanke. But you're right, he doesn't need to do that. Virgil has Solanke dealt with. What Robbo needs to do is he needs to be aware of what if if Solanke's not going to shoot, does he have an outball? But by Robbo charging back in, he actually impedes Virgil as well as failing to get to the ball. Solanke feeds Semenyo, and it's a real finish. But again, this just comes from Trent having his head up his arse. It's a simple ball played into him by, by Virgil, and I disagree with Carl. I don't think you can point any of the blame in the early going on Van Dijk. I think he's doing what he should be doing. Plays a simple ball into Trent. It's an atrocious first touch. And why he's touching it in that direction anyway, I have no idea. Touch it into the space on the other side. 
And then he doesn't make any kind of effort to get back himself. And they go one up and they fully deserve to be one up. And in that opening spell, like they looked way, way more motivated for this game than us. And I was looking on social media for about 45 minutes before the game, after the team was announced. Because when the team came out, I, I genuinely couldn't believe he'd picked the same team. It clearly didn't work last week. And yet he decided to roll with it again. And the same players that struggled last week, with the exception of Robertson, who was improved this week, the same players struggled again today. But there was so much arrogance among the Liverpool fan base on social media before this game. Oh, Bournemouth, such an easy game. We'll win this one comfortably. Much easier than Chelsea away. This is a really well-coached team who've brought in a lot of really good players. And if you'd watched them against West Ham, they were really well organised, really well set out and played really good football. And it appears like that arrogance seeped into the Liverpool team as well. Because it felt like our lads just turned up and thought, ah, we'll, we'll walk over these. In that first 15 minutes, only one side looked like they'd had a single training session in the last six months. And it wasn't us. Our lads look like a group of guys that have to kick about down the park once a month trying to recreate the glory days of when they were on a school team together. That's what it looked like. And those lads were just snapping into everything. Defensively, they had a really good shape. They were transitioning the ball very well. They were pressing in numbers. They knew where the weak points in our team were. And they were clearly focused on playing into those spaces. So when they get their goal, it's not really a surprise because they'd already shown once that they knew a potential weak spot, which is that ball in behind Trent, which is a weak point all last season. And then pressing Trent in midfield because sometimes he's just a little bit too arrogant with the ball and then pushing numbers into the box. And they got their just just rewards. They fully deserve to be one up. And you would have thought that that would have snapped us into making some adjustments to waking up. But it didn't. We continued to be absolutely symbolic for another few minutes. Yeah, no, I agree on the team. I think the fact that we went with the same at the midfield is obviously an issue with Jones picking up injury, uh, which is a topic for another date in itself. But Gakpo in midfield, maybe he didn't want to rush Endo in there, but there was options there. We had Elliot. Um, we could have changed the system. We could have played Trent as a midfielder. There is options to change that. And Jota was a bit of a weird game, as we'll discuss as we come along, and who's the preferred forward option there. Uh, but we'll go through some of the some of the uh, events after the goal. Um, Van Dijk hits the bar off a corner. We should probably start scoring some corners. Um, rather than just looking threatening from them. Um, we had that moment where Alisson got booked, probably lucky not to get got a red card. Um, if I think I can't remember who the covering player was, but if he wasn't there, probably would have been a red card. Canate. Canate. Um, and Carl, my, my next note on the 17th minute is we look like we've no way of playing. And I, I think the first 20 to 25 minutes, that, that was how it was. Are you that person who has everything? the coolest merch and those must-have fan threads. Well, 
over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yeah, um, it was a pretty slow and sluggish start all around, to be honest, even passing I mean, a little bit further upfield and looking to link play and attack, it still wasn't there. I think it was a bit similar in terms of the start of Chelsea game last week where Diaz looked particularly sharp, Jota looked particularly sloppy. A lot of things broke down when it went through his feet through the middle. Um, I don't really have like a big issue in terms of a player being out of form or not being quite on the same level as the others because you need different ones to be in form at different stages of the season. Um, I would obviously prefer a different alignment up front, but I'm not going to complain that Jota's there. It's much more about the knock-on effect of everything else. We spoke about it in the lead-up that it sort of seems to interfere with either where Cody's trying to go or where Dominic is looking best when he pushes through the middle. Um, that's more the issue, I think. But, you know, the, the midfield setup that we have at the minute obviously isn't working. And like at, at, at most, one of those players should be where they are at this point in time. Now, obviously, it's not going to be Alexis because he's now going to face a suspension. But I think it's still pretty clear we need to bring in a minimum of one more. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. We need we need the midfield numbers there, and um, it's it's become an issue that we all thought would get sorted in, in the summer, Dave. And obviously, the window is still open, but it, it's got to the point where it has started affecting our season. Now we got we've obviously got the win here, but it could have made an impact last week. Um, we're probably going to miss McAllister by the FA doing their job and overturning a stupid red card, but we'll get to that. Um, but if we don't get a midfielder in this week, the midfield's going to even look lighter. It is, and that that red card. I mean, we'll get on to it. It's that's what happens when you play non-defensive midfielders as your ball winner and ask them to go and try and do stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Like. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 hopefully next weekend at least we might have Cody back, or not Cody. Sorry, we might have Curtis back. Um, so Curtis could play in midfield without without Alexis being there, and Endo if he's if he's the only six in, will start as the as the six. And with a bit of luck, we'll have another six on the bench at least because we've got what twelve days? Is it twelve days left? in the window to get something done. You, you hear rumours and scuttlebutt, but so far nothing's going on or nothing of, of you know, nothing's close anyway. Um, but like, it's like Carol said, like the, the knock-on effect of Jota playing the nine, the lack of, the lack of technical ability that he has, his inability to link play at a decent level, and some of the positions he takes up, they just, they were having an effect on others in the team. And we started to see Diaz drift a lot more central, Mo drift a lot more central, Jota actually dr- dropping back into midfield at, at different times playing deeper 
than Cody, which was interesting. Um, and at least, at least there, he could because he's an immensely hard worker. He could cover some ground and close off some passing lanes, which did help, and that did kind of help us wrestle a bit of control into the game. But the way we set up today just it didn't help anybody in that team. I mean, you're not helping Virgil and Kanate by not giving them any protection. You're not helping Alexis by playing him out of position. The same goes for Cody. You're not have, helping Dominic by having the two lads who are out of possession. And then you're not helping any of the front three with that alignment because Jota, Diaz and Mo all sort of need a Cody. Well, they need a Bobby. And the closest thing we have is Cody. So they're all better with Gakpo as the nine through the middle. Now, We've seen good link between Mo and Darwin at times, but the Mo Jota thing just it doesn't really work for me. I think it worked well when we had Bobby playing in between them. I think that alignment worked well for for a number of number of games in the past. But I don't like Jota as the nine, but he prefers to play as the nine. And again, when you play him wide, he doesn't have that technical ability. It's why he's best off the bench. Hopefully, this early this early shock that we got today and the slog that this game became, hopefully that sparks business to be done, decisions to be made. It was very notable that after the Ali yellow card, we binned off the Trent inverting into midfield thing and just played a, a 4-3-3. That was really, really and with a midfielder dropping back, or sorry, four dropping back in at times, to make it four four two, and we gave ourselves, you know, a platform to play from. Uh, Ali, I mean, I think what actually saves him more is he doesn't really make contact with the man. But the mm. fact that he was caught in that position and and that's what that easily could have been a red card, easily yeah. could have been a red card. Yeah, and when Allison's flustered, I mean that. He was basically our only good player last year, so it speaks how uh, big an issue that is. Um, we do start somewhat playing um, about the twenty-second minute mark. I mean, we have a we have an opportunity. I'll go with where Jotter has a horrendous touch after some nice work from Sabozlai and Trent on the right hand side. And then my next note is Trent's link up play is awful, <laughs> um, but that leads me to the goal, Carl and. Again, I think it's Jotter in the right-hand side. Uh, it makes a pass. It uh, Bournemouth defender intercepts it, but it still goes through to Diaz. And it's a lovely little flick up in the air. And not, I won't call it a bicycle kick, but little side overhead kick thing. It, it's a lovely bit of individual play for him. It is. And to be honest, it's it, I'm not going to say Jota does nothing because obviously he makes a really good run in the first place, but... Diaz makes the goal himself, basically, because the, the pass is not accurate. It, it does go to the defender who doesn't manage to deal with it well enough. It's deflected. So it's a really, really quick readjustment from Diaz. Uh, the first touch is excellent, and that's what basically makes the goal, because then he can adjust his body in the meantime, and a brilliant finish. So close in, and he hits it really cleanly, obviously, which means Neto can't really react in time. Um, but I think, you know, Diaz was making those runs all game long. Like, even before that, he'd had sort of two options where he would have been in if there was a better pass or an earlier pass. Um, I think he was our best attacker by some distance out of the front three. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I said, there were there were periods of the game in the first half where we did look very, very dangerous going forward. Second half, we were obviously improved, but we'll get there. Um, but most of the time, I think it was either Salah making the space or Diaz's just ability to go one-on-one with people, which was really causing the problems. Um, so it was like, was excellent again, I thought, all game long. But there was a bit of a problem, I think, with playing from deep at times. It wasn't really until we'd managed to muddle our way through their first lines of resistance that really we started to get things coming together a bit, which I suppose is understandable given we have chopped and changed and there's no familiarity there at all at the minute. But again, it's something that needs to happen very, very quickly because we've left all of this until the last minute. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing, even if we do get a new player and a new way of playing again, um, or go back to the old way of playing, it, it's chopping and changing. Um, but yeah, Dave, Dave, your thoughts on the goal and, and Diaz's performance in the day, because he did seem to be leading the charge in the forward areas. Yeah, I just amplify everything Carl said. I thought he nailed it. I thought the goal is all about Diaz, and, and Diaz was, without question, the best of the front three. And if you want to even throw Cody in, because you know, that's where he should be playing, he was comfortably the best of those four. I thought he was one of the three best players we had on the day. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just really nice to see him looking so lively, and hopefully the little knock he went off with is nothing, nothing too serious. Yeah, that's a worry. That is a worry. Um, where are we up to? So we do start playing a bit more. We've got Moore's loose, loose touch um, and it falls to the goalkeeper. And Dave, I'll stick with you. We got a penalty kick in a game of football um, in a Premier League game where referees exist. Yeah, um it's a li- it's a little bit of a soft one, but it is a penalty. Dominic definitely buys it. Um, he just he just draws Rothwell in, doesn't he? That's basically what happens. He teases him with the ball, cuts in, cuts back out, knows he's going to hang the foot and just goes over it. It's a penalty, there's no doubt, but it is soft. Um, and it is bought, but we'll we'll take it all day. Um, and Mo misses it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thankfully... Thankfully, the, the the bounce goes our way for a change straight back to Mo. And uh, it's a really good finish second time around. So we'll take it. We'll take it. It's it's not it's not a, a pretty goal or anything, but we'll we'll certainly take it because the only thing that really matters is the three points. So at this point, I'll jump right in and we had this bit of a disagreement last season when Salah missed two in a row. You said you'd leave him on it because it would do more damage. I think he scored one after those two that he missed last yeah. season. Yeah, I believe and so. Now he's missed another. So how much longer are you given this? Because we have at least two players now who are have a very, very good record and one of them is in very, very good form at the minute and he's going to be on the score sheet very, very soon for Liverpool. I think we can probably agree on that. Um any more misses or are you taking Salah off them straight away? Hmm. So he actually scored two after missing two, was it? Okay. two last year. Yeah, he missed missed against Neto, missed, missed against Ramsdale, yeah. um, scored against uh, Spurs and scored against uh, Fulham. Um, he's 32 goals, eight misses in his career as a penalty taker. 
He's now missed six for us. He's missed three out of five, then. Yeah, he's missed three out of his last five, which is is worrying. It is worrying. And, yeah, I, I think I, I would be inclined to consider taking him off them. The question is, because you're right, we, we've brought in Dominic and we've brought in Alexis, who are both expert penalty takers. The question is, which one would you go to? Uh, I think, yeah, I think I'd be inclined to I go think Alexis him. is very good. Sobozlai is like uh, among the best I've seen. The fact that he scored, what, 6 17 in a row in the same corner or whatever. Yeah, it it's, it's, the, it's the consistency of Dominic's penalties that really gets me. So he's he's scored 15 and missed one mm. in his career. Lucas Fredecki is the only keeper to deny him. But I'm pretty sure all the, all the rest of them. Um, now one of that, that includes one in the European Under-17 Championship. It was 14 and one as as a, as a footballer. Uh, I'm just going to pull Alexis's up here and see where he's. But I think I would be inclined to go with Dominic because it's the it's the consistency that I like. Dominic has sorry, Alexis rather has scored nine and missed one. Jose Sa saved from him. Uh, at the end of the 21-22 season. It was weird at Brighton, because I think it used to be gross on penalties, didn't it? And then it, it was. It, it just always seemed to swap randomly rather than just having McAllister on them. So that would probably lean more towards Dom again for me. It's almost like the Frank Lampard cliche. He always used to go bottom left, and he was pretty good at penalties. So I'd, I'd, I'd be with... I'd be team Dom in that regard as well. But I, I think more... After the record went where it was the one to was it equal Jan Mulbys or beat Jan Mulbys? Yeah, he's just not been the same. I don't think. No, and it it kind of at this point, I don't know what you gain by keeping him on penalties. Mm. You know, I think I think it is just I think it is just time to to move it on. Put put Dominic on them. Have Alexis as the backup option. And uh, and just get Mo back to, to doing more Mo things. Like I, I thought today, he he had such a a mixed bag of a performance. Like there was moments of real brilliance in there, and then there was moments where he just frustrate the life out of you, making a bad decision by shooting when he should pass. Like there was, he wasn't the only one. There was a couple of moments where, where our lads t- decided to take on shots when there was passes to players who had much better opportunities than them. And that that's my bigger concern about today rather than what rather than penalties moving forward. I mm-hmm. we get a penalty. I don't I don't think they'll move Salah off them. No. I, I just don't think they will because I, I think that's just a confrontation that nobody wants to have or a conversation. Maybe it is all it'll be, but I don't think anyone wants to have it. Mind, we've had our t- penalty quarter for the season anyway. <laughs> so there's no point. It's not even a conversation worth having. Um, I mean, we'll mention the ref later on with the McAllister red card. Um, Carl, I, it's not a referee I was familiar with. What's his name? Brammel? Let's go with Brammel. He, se- he seemed to be given soft fouls, but obviously we just had the Anthony Taylor experience last weekend. He didn't seem too bad. He obviously got the big one wrong later on, but he, he seemed all right in that regard. 
I think this was his first Anfield match. I'm not sure if we've had him elsewhere before, but um, mm, I, I mean, I thought he was fine in terms of what we usually get for, for Premier League referees. Um, I, I don't think he'll be making my worst list of the season. I just think that yet again, what really is going to frustrate most people is the inconsistency from ref to ref, from decision to decision, from week to week. I mean, yeah. We're only two weeks into the season. Liverpool get a penalty for that. I think there's enough of a kick on Sobber's life for it to be a, a penalty, not a kick, you know, contact, he trips him, simple as that. It's not yeah. big, but it's a foul. It's a trip. But yeah, that's not as much of a foul as Andrea Nana, for example, last week, who actually assaulted and clattered somebody in midair. <laughs> so yeah. that's stupid. And then McAllister's is obviously nowhere near as full-on or damaging as, I'm sorry, I forgot if it was... Um, County Chiquemica last week on Canate when he's sort of yeah. studs first in the shoulder sort of area. That's thing like leaping like that. out of control at a player, and the only reason, and, the, and the, the main reason you're not sending him off is because Canate is tall. Because if so Canate I mean, was five ten, he catches him full in the face. Like that, this is it. This is exactly the conversation that we've had multiple times last season as well. Yeah. This lack of consistency across the board is what drives fans mental. Fans don't expect referees to be perfect because they're human beings and no human being is going to be perfect at anything. So no one expects them to get every single decision right. But on the big ones, we do expect consistency across the board because they're all fucking been trained in the same way. I mean, there just mm. needs to be a level which is or isn't. And it just seems that, you know, if there was an actual line and you could say this is a foul and this is not, which is a red, then either side of it, just either side of it, you could understand that there was some discrepancy. But here we are talking like a wild, wild gap between what is and isn't a red, what is and isn't a penalty. And it's just, again, it's stupid. And it's the start of the season and I expect more of these in the next few weeks. You know, we've not got the refs this week from last week at Old Trafford where, who, who didn't decide that Ananas was a foul, but they'll be back next week, which just means the same old decisions will keep happening. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Basically, they, they get punished with a weekend off. It's not like yeah. you're making them go, I don't know. I'm sure we've all seen that Portsmouth thing where the two assistant refs have been injured, which is fantastic. But have a weekend in Portsmouth, lads, they're in, I think it's League One nowadays, but like, it's a weekend off isn't a punishment. Um, it's just a really strange run. But we'll be back to the ref and more importantly the VAR official who will probably be begrudging all season in Paul Tini once we get to the red card decision. Um, Dave, I'll come to you. I mean, he was a monster in the second half, but even in the first half, we mentioned Dom winning the penalty there. Mm. I think last week I mentioned that. Obviously, I don't watch the Bundesliga and I'm kind of learning watching him as we go. I may love this person. Yeah, he's very easy to he's very easy to like as a player because not only does he have an immense amount of ability, but he's got the physical side of the game as well. And we saw him putting in a lot of work off the ball today and putting in hard yards and dropping back in, pressing, covering runners, all the things that we haven't had from a right-sided midfielder in years. Mm -hmm. So that was all very promising in the first half. And he was involved in some of our nice build-up play in the late part of the first half when we did seem to cop ourselves on. Um, But yeah, you're right. In the second half, 
I think he was the best player on the pitch by by a wide margin. I, I, there was there was a moment in the second half where he drove down the right hand side, just literally just sprinted past two of their players. Mm-hmm. Real powerful run, and he tried to cut it back to Diaz, which might have been the wrong decision, but it, at least he had his head up and was looking for his options. But as he drove past those two defenders and really upped the gears. There was just a bit of Gerard about him. There was a bit of Gerard about that pace, that power, that build. And, you know, everything seems to come very easy to him in terms of yeah, he finds it to just pick a pass, to beat a man. His touch is, is impeccable. He makes the right decision constantly. I think I think we're very, very fortunate to have gotten this guy because of if we hadn't bought him when we did, I guarantee you Manchester City were buying him now. I yeah. guarantee he would have been tired. As soon as there was a hint that De Bruyne was in any way shaky to be out for a while, and now we know he's meant to be out for four months, we've had somebody on the plane to go and bring this fella back. So the fact that we were able to let him as early as we were and as efficiently as we were, it is the one positive that's come from the Jörg Schmatke era at Liverpool. Um, he, you know, all he did was pay a release clause. The fact that we went and got this guy and and took risk at going to get him, because some people, I think, were a little bit scared by the price. $60 million is a lot of money, but this guy is, is an outrageous footballer. And, like I said, he puts in all the work off the ball as well, which is just an added bonus. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, Carl, I mean, Dave mentioned the price there, I think 61 mil. Um, considering the other deals that have gone through, but it, it's strange saying a 60 million pound person is a bargain, but he's costing, what, for 4 million more than Lavia? I, that, I yeah, think like, that's I astonishing. Mean, if we consider some of the deals done across the Premier League this season, I think it's like, far and away, one of the most... Uh, value for money if we just consider what plays more right at this moment in time. Like, ignore the fact you think it is or isn't overpriced anyway. By what we're going for, you look at like obviously the price that you've just mentioned, Alavia, the price of Mason Mounts, the price of pick whoever you want. What what Lucas Paqueta was rumoured to Havertz. be going for before, before the deal yeah. go through. Kai Havertz, another one. I think Solis is, is uh, the best chance of being seen as good value and just worth it. 
Um, he's, he's an exceptional player. He started exceptionally well. He looks very, very in the team. He looks a player that already the other players are looking for, which I think is really important. And look, we've, we've, we've complained quite a bit and rightly so about our transfer work this summer. If we're just going to go and look player to player, position to position, I don't see a bigger upgrade around the Premier League at the minute than Henry like. Hmm. No, that's a good point. I think it's so... I don't want it to turn into a transfer pod, but it is fucking a big part of the discussion. But the business we do is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> we just don't do enough of it. It's fucking so annoying. Anyway, um, where were we? We were basically moving into the second half, weren't we? Um, <sighs> Semenyo has a chance just, I think, 48 minute. I kind of was losing my notes at that point. Then there's more chance on the break and Sinisi just kind of marshals him quite easy. Um, and Dave, I mean, back on the Jota discussion, I mean, he try, there's a chance to lob Neto from about 30, 40 yards, maybe 35 yards out, and he just kind of spoons it into the crowd. Um, yeah. I mean, let's stick on Jota. We kind of mentioned him in passing. We we know what his strengths are. We see that in his goal um, in a few minutes. It, it's a weird one because you mentioned probably his best role ideally is off the bench and I'd probably agree with that almost like a, a Solskjaer-esque player. But when he does play, I mean, there is times when the link-up player works, but it's probably not... If he gives the first time, it works. Yes. If he gives the first time, when Jota has one and two touches on things, he's a much more effective player. Mm. Whenever he has too much time on the ball and defenders stand off him and make him make a decision, that's when things get a little bit funky. But he, he had a couple of really good moments in this game and a couple of howling moments in this game, but he got a goal. He should have had a second. Cody actually should have fed him for another one. There was a lovely ball played across yeah. to Cody. All he needs to do is just one more, just play it one more. John is walking, stepping on and striking it first time. And you'd back him to score. But what I was really impressed by today with, with Diogo Jota was in that spell in the first half from when we're 1-0 down until after Mo's goal, when he started dropping back into midfield mm. and just adding another body in there. And all of a sudden, the centre-backs had another option to pass it into. Now, he couldn't do a whole lot other than kind of give it to Robbo to the other centre-back or give it to Trent. Like, he, he wasn't taking a touch and turning on it. He was dropping in and he was giving them an option and allowing them to change the angle then. He was giving Alexis a dig-out with some of the work because Cody, I thought Cody's first half was absolutely awful. Yeah. Genuinely thought Cody Gakpo for in that first half. Now he he wasn't spectacularly bad in any aspect, the way Trent and Ali were for for what they fucked up on. But he just could couldn't get himself involved in the game, and that that lack of explosive pace really hurts when he's in midfield because you need people who've got that little bit of of a bite in that first yard to get into a challenge. And Cody doesn't have that. And we saw him just getting bundled about a couple of times. Like, you're 6'4". If he ever learns to play his height, he could be such a weapon. 
But because he's so tall, smaller players are kind of able to get in underneath them and shift them out of the way, which you don't see it happen to a guy like Virgil, who, who knows how to play his height. It doesn't happen to Ibu. But with Cody, he's a bit... He's just a bit softer in 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 how he attacks the ball. And, and that's something that we need to change with him. We need to get him playing bigger, playing stronger. He needs to be working on these things. But again, I, I, you can't hit him too hard when he's playing in midfield because he's not a midfielder. Like, he's not a midfielder at all. Especially when we don't have where, a defensive midfielder as well. Well, that's, that's exactly it. Like, it'd be different if it was... Cody, Dominic, and Czech Dekure. Yeah. Even Fabinho. Mm. But it's not. It's Alexis. And, like, I love Alexis. I think he's going to prove to be an amazing signing for us. But he's not a defensive midfielder. So he doesn't add that physicality. He, Cody needs that strength behind him to at least free him a little bit more. When Jota started dropping in and Cody was able to play a little bit further forward. Like it was almost like Jota was just playing center forward and center field and Cody and Dominic were playing as really narrow wingers, a little bit advanced of, of Alexis and, and Jota was dropping in with Alexis. Cody did have a couple of moments. He won a free kick and he started to get involved in a little bit interplay with Diaz and that. But he, He's wasted in this role. He really is wasted in this role. And we can't go to tune next weekend with Cody Gakbo in midfield. No, I feel like Joel Linton would absolutely eat him. Um, so that's not, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, Carl, just to come to you, I just read, just dawned on me. I've barely mentioned Bournemouth in this, and it's kind of the worst time to bring it up because this is where the game seems to go away from them. But I'll I'll bring it back to the start of the game and the whole game as well. But you, you both of you mentioned you're a big fan of uh, Iriola and especially the appointment of Bournemouth. But Carl, I mean, I think he he's shown the blueprint for how Bournemouth should be playing and the aggressive press they showed in the first 20, 25 minutes. It was really impressive considering, I know we dropped points to Bournemouth last season, but this fixture last season was 9-0. Yeah, I mean, this is a totally different team now. Yeah, Arguably absolutely. a totally different club, to be perfectly honest. But um, yeah, I think this this is a really well set up team. I think there were very, very clear roles with a number of people. You can see that there's still not partnerships quite developed yet. We spoke about this on Scout at the head of the weekend, that three of the back four are new, basically. Um you know, within the last few months or within the last few weeks for some of them. So there's still going to be a bit of work to do on the understanding, but it was a pretty brave lineup going with, um, you know, like Christie and Bill was, was doing quite a bit of swapping there. They were letting Philip Billing be quite aggressive in the press earlier on. Um, I thought Rothwell was a lot more aggressive than I was expecting him to be, to be honest. He didn't necessarily have his best game, but... Mm-hmm. Again, he was good last week. Like, he was good last week. Yeah, he was really, really good. And like in terms of the positions and where he was willing to step up to off the ball. I thought, you know, again, it was very, very brave. It was a high risk, high reward sort of situation for them. And as Dave said, they probably deserved to be 2-0 up very early on, or we were fortunate not to be 2-0 down. And had that happened, that's a lot more to hold on to. You know, 1-0 with 88 minutes plus lots of injury time to go is pretty different to two goals up with 80 to play. You know, it feels very, very different in a match situation. So it could have gone spectacularly right for them. And I, I do think that they will cause some big teams quite a few problems, especially on home soil this season. 
Um, I, I did mention before the game, like lots of interplay and the interchanging of positions between the three behind Solanke. And we saw that in the first half more than anything else. Uh, and overall, probably two or three really decent individual performances you'd pick out. Like Ilya Zabani, I thought, despite the fact that we were very good in attacking times, individually, mm. I thought he won pretty much all his battles, to be honest. There's not like, you know, many, many big goals came from sort of getting behind him or beating him one-on-one or anything like that. And he, you know, he held off Diaz for, for strength a couple of times and he was very patient to when to make his challenge. I thought Aaron's did pretty well in general in the wider areas, not so much when Diaz was coming infield. Um, I think there's lots to work with there. They're, they're a decent side to keep watching, I think. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'll mention Hamed um, Traore when he comes on later on. I thought he made a big impact when he came on as well, to be fair. But I think we met, you mentioned it in scouting. Like Kirkes was really good at left back. I think, again, he kept more relatively quiet in that area of the pitch and more had a bit of an odd game. Maybe we'll discuss that later on. Um, Carl, I'll stick with you. The red card. I mean, Look, it's soft and it's not a bad foul, but it's a foul and he's got his studs slightly showing and that's a red, simple as that. But I think it's one of those stupid ones where if the ref gives a red, it's not getting overturned. But if the ref gives a yellow, it's not getting overturned. So that's what I mean like before, that there, there should be better consistency. There should be better clarity over what is or isn't. I, I personally wouldn't have given that a red. It's not with a whole lot of force. It's not with you know, any any real danger for the player or anything like that because of where he makes the contact. But, but uh, I, 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 know I see by... His studs were showing, but the connection's all on the side of the foot. Yeah, that's what I mean. I wouldn't have given it a red because of where the connection is, but I can see by the angle of his foot that by the wording and by the weird, stupid thresholds that we have on some things, why a red can be shown. And if it is, it's not getting overturned because there's enough technically in there for it to be the case. Mm. Mind, last season we did see Gak, uh, Gakpo get volleyed in the chest. With yeah, a, look, like I said, last uh, week we got Kanate studded in the yeah. shoulder. It, it's not the case that because that one wasn't a red, this one shouldn't be. The other way round is what they probably should be by force and danger and all the rest of it. But I can see why this one was a red just by you know what the rule is at the minute. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, Dave, I think I agree that is the issue that the... (laughs) Obviously, we're biased. We want the Liverpool player to stay on, but 
referees probably just need the rules clearing up and simplifying more so, but I, I just I don't see how this is a red. I mean, that's it's it's the thing is this is a judgment call yeah. that the ref is making. So there's, like, there's no real way to change the rules on that. It is purely a judgment call, and Carl's right. If he doesn't give a red, Eor is not overturning it. Because well, my it's not name is Paul Tini, to be fair to him. <laughs> well, that's the point as well, because he is a shithouse. But a, a normal VAR is not overturning that if it's a yellow, mm-hmm. because it's a judgment call, and it's not a clear and obvious error either way. I can understand. And I, I, when it happened, on first view, my initial thought was, that's going to be red. Mm-hmm. Now, as you see it on the replay, I agree you can see Alexis kind of turns his foot at the last minute, doesn't catch him with the studs. However, you have to remember this. When the VAR is watching the replays, they're also taking into account what has the referee seen or what does he think he's seen? Mm. So even though the, the, the replays show us that he doesn't catch him with his studs, that there's no force in it, they can still see why he's given the red card and therefore it's not a clear and obvious error. I wouldn't expect this to be overturned on appeal. Mm. But I wonder, is there a possibility that this is a one-game ban rather than a three-game ban? Yeah, that was what I would expect as well, that this is not marked down as violent conduct, basically. Yeah, Yeah, I think it might just be a one-game ban. Which is fortunate, obviously, and it, it sucks for Alexis because it's his debut at Anfield. He was he was really coming into the game as well. He was having the best spell he'd had in the game and starting to knock the ball around and, and, you know, move forward with a bit more authority here. But like I said earlier, this is what happens when you play non-defensive midfielders as ball winners and he feels like he has to go and try and win that ball. He makes he makes a bad judgment call. Alexis makes a bad judgment call. I, I don't think there was any maliciousness. Obviously, I, I I personally don't think it's a red card. I can see why the referee gave a red card. So I'm not going to argue with the decision. Hopefully, it's just a one game ban. And hopefully, by the time he comes back, another defensive midfielder has joined the club, and we'll have that defensive midfielder and Endo and Besetic fully fit by then. And Alexis will never be asked to play in that role again. Because I said, as I said weeks ago, just because someone has stood there in the past does not mean they can play there. Thiago has played as a six for us. It was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and if you remember, he was getting booked all the time because he felt like he had to make stupid challenges and we were all waiting for him to get sent off. Yeah. And people were saying, geez, he's no discipline at all. He's no discipline. It's because of what he's been asked to do in that role, to be that primary ball winner. The same is true of Alexis. Just because he has played as a six doesn't mean he can play as a six. Joshua Kimmich plays as a six every fucking week, and he's crap at it. Like, just because someone plays somewhere doesn't mean they can play somewhere or they should play somewhere. So enough of this Alexis as a six nonsense. You've got the rest of this window sorted out. By the time he comes back, 
we shouldn't be having this conversation again. The window yeah. should be is the window's over by the time he comes back, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I presume so. If this is one game, I think if, if if he misses one, he comes back for the fourth game, doesn't he? Yeah, and the fourth game is on the second. So it will be. No, we, we played the third. We play Villa on the third. So yeah, the window will be closed. So yeah. if even if it's only one game ban, by the time he comes back, we should have this sorted. We should have another defensive midfielder in a starting caliber defensive midfielder. And then we go Dom, that defensive midfielder, and Alexis in in the way they were bought to play, and we should be much better off. Yeah, in a four three three, I think that'll be magical. To be fair, because I think there was a graphic going round, and it was our midfield with Endo. So presumably we were upgrade Endo, and then it was the Chelsea one, which was Caicedo, uh, Enzo, and Lavia as a three, and then it was United as a three as Casemiro Mount. And Bruno, and if we, even with Endo, I think ours is the most balanced out of that in terms of attack and defence. But if we upgrade the defence midfield in terms of the top four contenders, I think it'll be the most balanced. And then further conversations about City and Arsenal, etc. obviously. But yeah, if we just get that DM, I think in terms of balance, it's certainly up there. And Dom is just magic, as I mentioned earlier. So yeah, Nature is healing if we get that defensive midfielder. Um, but Dave, I mean, from frustration to elation, Jota scores after we finally shoot from distance, which I don't know what the fuck. We've got Sol Bosley, who's one of the best shooters from distance in the world, and we've seemingly told anyone, if you shoot from outside the box, you'll be shotgunned or something. Um, but we finally shoot from outside the box, and Jota scores a nice little rebound, which is highlighting his strengths. But, yeah, we, we get the goal just after the red card, and it kind of deflates the game a bit more. But Bournemouth do come back into it afterwards. But uh, it's a nice predatory goal from Jota. It is, but before we get into that, Carol, I think we should take a moment now and appreciate appreciate from frustration to elation. We I didn't realise we've been working with this wordsmith this entire time. That, that is outstanding. I mean, you, you, outstanding you, you listen to Trev Downey long enough. You uh, I, I, I was I just going to say, you, you, expect, you expect Alexis to walk back into the, the Liverpool lineup. I'm not sure Downey gets to walk back into the Raw lineup mm, after that. I think line. we'll have to have a conversation. Someone get Eddie Gibbs on the phone. You fucking is. is. I'm, not, I'm not doing this every. Fu- I'm not doing this every fucking week. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look. Every time Dom got the ball within twenty five yards today, there was somebody in the crowd shouting "shoot" hmm. because it's one of the aspects of his game that is at an elite level. One of many. So you were hoping that he'd let le- let loose with a couple, and he lets fly with that one. It obviously takes a deflection. I think it's kind of a it's a shot that's also kind of a half cross mm. that he's sort of just putting into an area that if somebody steps onto it and gets a touch, they might finish it. But it takes the nick. Neto, he has to react quickly. That Stephen Warnock hammered him on commentary over this. I didn't think it was. A big mistake by Neto. I think he's watching that shot thinking, that's going wide. I need to react if somebody gets on the end of it. And then it takes a deflection and then he has to go for it from, what, six, seven yards when it hits that defender. So I think he does react fairly well and and he stops it. 
But Jota has reacted brilliantly. And that that is what Diogo Jota does really well. Reacts in the penalty area and gets on the end and, and takes a chance. And um and, and thankfully he did because it's a it's a really nicely taken goal and three one. We probably it, it it definitely flatters us on the day, but mm-hmm. given we were now down to ten, at least it gave us that bit of breathing room. And obviously then Klopp was going to make changes, so we were making changes from despite being down to ten from a strong position. I, I think that probably the ten minutes before the red card was our best period in terms of controlling where the game was being played because we were attacking really well. The final pass and shot was terrible, but. We were attacking very well in terms of the link movement, but then also we were really, really aggressive in terms of where we were pressing, where we were winning the ball back. We had Canati win it back two, three times in a row just by those little headers, like 40 yards from their goal sort of thing. So they can't get out at all. We had a really very strong spell of pressure in that period. And again, one the same movement, the same attempt to press really high is what obviously got uh, Alexis sent off. So it was concerning that we'd missed so many chances. I think the one where Gakpo could have knocked it on to uh, that you mentioned earlier was one of the best chances or the almost best chances in, in that period of the game. Mm. But I think scoring so quickly after that red was very, very important for us today. Yeah, it really was. As you said, it gave us the buffer zone. Um, and I think we saw changes basically straight after that. And Endo came on for Gakpo, which more defensive. We played a 4-4 one, uh, nearly went with two there. And they also brought on um, Kiefer Moore, who's one of those players where you have to mention both his names or it's not le- it's not legal. Uh, and Clive came on on the wing. I can't remember who came off in that regard. Um, so they've got a bit more attacking. We've obviously set up shop a bit. My next note is Dom is a beast, but I think that's where he skinned like three people on the right-hand side I'll go with. Um Jota put a, a nice run in the right side of the box and is just a poor finish. Um, Solanke skins two lads. And I think, Dave, this is where Trent picks up his knock. I'm not sure what it was exactly. Mm. Exactly, I think it's his left ankle. Um, but if Trent's out, even if it is for only a couple of games, this is another gap in the squad. But I suppose you've mentioned in the past you think Basetic could be the backup there? He's obviously only just back in training, so it might might have been too soon today. But if it is Trent injured, do you think it'll be him or do you think we just run with Gomez and go back to a 4 3 3? I think it'll be Joe. Um I, I think Stefan could play there if it was the inverted role. Yes. I think he could do a job there in a flat back four if you need them to. But my th- him was if it's the inverted role and you want someone that's comfortable in that role and moving into midfield, Stefan then was the one that made sense. If it's just going to be a back four as, as it was at that shambles of a start today, then I think you, you probably stick with, um, you probably stick with Joe Gomez, who, when he came on, I thought he looked bright. I thought he looked lively. He looked aggressive in, in his defensive work. So all things considered, I was, I was pretty happy with Joe when he came on today. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what we need from him. It just it always seems confidence with him because I'm I'm sure we all saw the stats going around about best. I think it was Premier League partnerships. Van Dyke was in it twice because you know that's what he does. But Gomez was in one of those partnerships, and there was a reason for it back in the day. So there's still a player in there. Um, 
what we up to? Um, Carl, they have a chance on the 69th minute. Um, Semenyo has a nice run. I think he skins a couple of people um, and cross, uh, passes it to Kiefer Moore, who puts it over. Bit sloppy. My next note is I love Dom, so fair enough there. Uh, a couple more subs. This is where Trent comes off for Gomez and Elliot's on for Jota. Uh, it seemed to get a bit sloppy after Elliot came on. He just seemed to... I don't want to blame him because we mentioned his impact last week as a, a coming on as a sub, but he just seemed to be playing on the toes of Dom and they kept getting in the way of each other. It was a bit odd. Yes, and I think, you know, a little bit off each other's wavelength in terms of where the pass was going, but also I think Elliot was trying to do quite a lot of impactful stuff, obviously, as a you know a young player and a sub coming off the bench and trying to have an impact and trying to be very, very good and win a spot back basically and it didn't come off today very well and it wasn't really what was required either um, so I, I, again I, I agree with you I won't really criticise him too much for that, but it is something you would have to learn if you're a sub coming on in that kind of role even as an attacker even as a young player there's still a different thing required of you than trying to have a big attacking impact yeah yeah I think if we're trying to win a game it's probably more useful bring it on Elliot um, in that regard, a bit more energy, etc. But seeing out a game, we brought Simicas on like a few minutes later, so that probably would have been a better sub, for example. Um, Carl, this is where Alisson's good brother came back onto the pitch. <laughs> this is where Bournemouth started to get in a few more chances. Um, I mentioned Ahmed Traore earlier on. He came on um, at some point in this game. I kind of love and hate him because he betrayed me on FM, but he was really good for me at FM, so that's all I know of him. But he came on and made a big impact for them, picking up the ball, a couple long-range shots. But is is this a player that you could see um, growing into the season and becoming a bigger option for Bournemouth? Traore? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll be a starter before too long. He had a bit of an injury pre-season, didn't he? That right, OK. Was- don't think he played last weekend. Um, so, yeah, I, there's no doubt he's one of their better attackers in terms of how direct he is at going uh, straight to the opposition defence in terms of ball carrying. I think he's probably one of their biggest ball threats as well when we consider that the centre forwards, both Solanke and first name, second name, Kiefer Moore, are not really you know, going to be double-figure goal scorers more than likely if we're, if we're being perfectly honest. So mm-hmm. between Semenyo and, and um, Wataro, and he's back as well. I think those are three much bigger, much more consistent goal threats that they have to turn to. Yeah, is that how you see the going forward for them? Probably Uwatar on the left, Semenyu on the right, and Triori behind probably Solanke? Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about the number of options that they have. Dave Brooks came off the bench today as well, and Jaden Anthony, I think, is a really good impact player for them as well. So I, I could see them being a team who have a lot of change in those three roles behind the centre-forward. Solanke will stay centre-forward because, again, as we spoke about in Scouted, I think he offers them a lot in terms of hold-up play, build-up play, channel running, pressing from high up, all that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. then if you're able to change and keep really good competition for places and keep everybody playing at a really high intensity in that line behind them, then yeah, you can keep chopping them, you can keep changing them, you can keep rewarding who plays well. And if they're not at an absolutely elite level, part of that is that you don't have you know, three-month-long consistency and therefore having the other options is a very, very important thing, which is something that you look at the likes of, I don't know, Sheffield United this season or Leeds last season, that's that's where they missed out. You know, they've not got the other options to turn to if mm-hmm. some of the starters are not in great form. 
Yeah, Dave, it looked like you unmuted there. Did you want to mention anything on the... Oh, I was going to say Tavernier is another option that you yes, can throw yeah. into that mix as well. Like, so they are there. And Philip Billing can play as a 10. Christie can play as a 10. So they are really, really well stocked in those three positions. Um, and you know, the, there's definitely goals in that group of players. It's just going to be a matter of whether they can wrangle enough goals out of either uh, Solanke or Kiefer Moore. Um, and now that you, you've said that, that you always have to say his first and second name, I've realized that is actually the case. Yes. Um, because he's not good enough to just be called Kiefer. And if you just call him Moore, it, 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 I mean, it's just such a common name that it's, you're not directing it at him. So, um, yeah, they're just going to hope they can get enough goals out of those players. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say they'd be in any relegation bother. I mean, it's only been, one and a half game weeks, but there's been much worse teams than Bournemouth, I think. Um, and I'm kind of watching two of them in the background now because Spurs and United both look a bit weirdly crap. Uh, uh, Spurs and United, I should say, not Bournemouth. Um, but anyway, uh, basically finishing up the game, uh, Dave, we have those Allison saves. The last one, uh, no, I think it was Clive at the first one and Triori the second one. Um, it was nice that his evil twin brother went away for a bit, at least towards the end. But that's basically it. We did have Nunes come on and Simicast come on. But is there any other players you wanted to pick out, Dave? I mean, last week the talking point was the fullbacks. I mean, Robbo, for my eye, was a bit better in Trent. Mm. The role, it, the sloppiness in the first goal. But he did make an impact later on, but he had a weird game. Endo's half uh, hour is also what we need to look at, really, yes, in terms of what we saw yeah. from him. Yeah, we... we, we we trying to hit him actually because, um, but quickly on Robbo, I thought massively improved on last weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Still, still some work to do. Gave the ball away thirteen times, which is a little bit of a concern. But won most of his duels and was a bit better with his decision making uh, and seemed to actually combine a little bit better with Diaz today than he has in the past as well. And Trent. When they stopped doing the inverted thing, Trent was much better. When he just went back to playing as a right back, he was just much, much better. And I thought even his effort improved. So that was good to see. Um, On Endo, he had two early moments that were not promising. One, he was quite flat-footed as he went into a challenge and got easily beaten. And they went off on a counter-attack. And the second one, he was a little bit too weak and allowed himself to get bundled over, I think, thinking he'd win a free kick. Mm. But this isn't the Bundesliga, son. Get your arse up. Um, No free kick given. Aside from those two moments, though, I think we saw enough to know that he can be a solid player, which is all I expect him to be is a solid player. Um, Clever decisions with the ball. Good sense of position, dropped into really good areas. There was one one attack where Kanate stepped out to right back to deal with the attacker, and he just dropped into centre back, and he was directing people in front of him then to drop in into that holding midfielder role. So definitely good awareness. He wasn't expecting to come on at that moment in the game. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was actually ready to come on at that moment in the game. I think he'd been sat for quite a while since the the half-time break. I'd imagine he was probably going to get up and start warming up within 
the next few minutes, but instead he had to come on. And considering he only actually signed yesterday and got lobbed in with a group of lads he doesn't know, I, I thought he did pretty good. I, I thought he was a 6 out of 10. Like I said, clever decisions, good sense of position. The The two iffy moments were both very, very early on in his cameo. And I think once he got over them, I think he I think he settled in quite well. Yeah, he might even learn his teammates' names by next week. Carl, <laughs> uh, would you want to add something there? Yeah, just that the only thing that I picked out very, very early on was one of the things that we'd actually pointed the other way that is a good thing of his usually is the lack of energy. He didn't really seem to be reacting very quickly or turning or running back very quickly when a couple of times they went past him. So that's something you expect him to get up to speed with pretty quickly. I don't know whether that's something just because of how quickly it all came about or tiredness of the the travel and the moving over very, very quickly. What, two sessions he must have had? So mm-hmm. hopefully that uh, that gets up to speed very quickly. Just um, while Dave was talking there, I was having a listen to, to Klopp and suggests that we might appeal against the Alexis red card. So whether they do or not in the end, not sure, but um, I wouldn't be that overly optimistic. On to his ban, Sorry? Doesn't it add on to his ban if he failed them? It um, depends what they charge him with on the on the actual offence. If it's right. a, you know, a professional foul or the, the violent conduct or so. If it's just the one-game ban, I'll just, just go with it. If it's a one-game ban, I, I don't think they'll appeal it. I think if it's a three, they will appeal it and it'll be unsuccessful. It'll just be a waste of everybody's time. But, you know, Jürgen likes to fight his corner on these things. Um, I do agree with Carl about Endo's sort of the, the lack of early energy. But like I said, he'd, he'd, he'd been out for the half-time kickabout, and then he'd gone, he sat down for 15 minutes. So I'd imagine that might have just might have just been the issue. I think if, he, if he'd gotten a little bit more time to prepare, we might have seen a, 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 an easier start for him. But like I said, once he got going, I think he settled in fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave, anything, any one or anything you want to add um, before we move on to plugs and get out of here? No, that's everything. That's everything. Look, three points is three points. Um, we now have the week before Newcastle. There's a lot of work that needs to be done behind the scenes. There are ideally two players that need to come in, but we will settle with one more holding midfielder if that's what it has to be. And, uh, and then we go to tune next weekend and hope for the best. Absolutely. Be interesting seeing um, how Newcastle do this weekend as well, ahead of that game. Uh, Carl, anything to add bef- or plugs from you as well? Uh, no, most of my stuff in the lead-up to this weekend has been Women's um, World Cup final stuff. So if anyone wants a, a little look or previews or build-up to the final, which is on Sunday, then head over to the Independent, a bunch of stuff there. Apart from that, I have nothing to add on Liverpool whatsoever. Good stuff. And as I said in the intro, I believe and hope that that, uh, that Trev is back next weekend for the big Newcastle game. But till then, we'll speak to you soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, 
where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.